Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning, and uh, welcome to our new normal. And I know that uh, normal may not feel too good to you. Uh, I mean, we would rather be together. We get that. Uh, but don't, please don't be afraid. Don't be nervous. Don't be anxious. Because here's what I think is happening. I think God's doing a huge thing during this whole uh, pandemic. I think that, uh, quite honestly, I think that we're reevaluating our lives. I think the things that... Uh, that we've let slip through our fingers, the importance of family and being together, spending time together. I think that a lot of people are beginning to reevaluate how they were spending their time and they're reprioritizing. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. And quite honestly, we've been thinking about how to do church. How do we do it better? I don't think that this is an accident. I don't think that God caused it. I think God allowed it, and I think that God allows things so that we can learn. We can learn from it. So I don't know what it'll I don't know what it'll look like when we get back together. It's going to be an incredible day. There's no doubt about there's no doubt in my mind about that. But uh, I don't know what church in the future will look like. But I do know this: it'll be better. It'll be sweeter. We'll be kinder. We'll be more gentle. We'll be more giving people than we've ever been. Because I know that those are things that we're learning, and that's important. I'm glad you're with us this morning. I want to start off by a story that I absolutely love. been telling for a number of years, but it's been a few years since I've told it. So if you've heard me tell the story before, I still expect you to smile, laugh just a little bit, give me a two thumbs up or something. So a man calls a house and a little boy answers the phone with a whisper. He says, hello. So the man on the phone says, can I speak to your mom? And the little boy says, she's busy. So the man says, okay, all right, so your, your mom's busy. Can I speak to your dad? And the little boy on the other end whisper again. He says, no, he's busy. So the guy's thinking to himself, okay, mom and dad are both home, but they're busy. What's going on? He says, well, is there anybody else in your house? And he said, yes, the police are here. And so now the guy's freaking out a little bit. He goes, oh, my gosh, the police are there. Can I speak to, to the policeman? And the little boy comes back with a whisper, and he says, no, she's busy. So now this guy on the other end is thinking, wow, mom and dad can't come to the phone. The police are there, and they're busy, and they can't come to the phone. So he finally asked again, he said, is there anybody else there? And the little boy says, yes, the firemen are here. And so finally, the guy's a little bit perturbed at this point, and so he says, well, young man, can you tell me just what all these busy people are doing? And this little guy, again with a whisper, says, they're all busy looking for me. <laughs> Come on, give me a two thumbs up. I'm looking for something. People all over the world are laughing right now at this incredible joke. Here's my point. And here's what I'm learning. I think that there are a lot of people right now that are looking for God. No doubt about it. People that maybe 
haven't even considered a relationship with God. Some people who maybe have thought that God doesn't even exist, those very people are now suddenly more in tune and they're looking for God. But maybe it feels like that God's kind of hiding from us. So is God really hiding from us? Well, of course not. He's right in front of us. He's right in front of us. And what if the problem then is not with God? So what if it's not with God? What if the problem is with us? There's a great example of somebody in, uh, in Scripture who met Jesus face to face and totally missed the connection. It's, it's a story in Mark chapter 10. Now, I wanted to be careful that I said it the way that I did. Not that he missed Jesus. Because honestly, I've preached this text before, and I've studied this text before, and everybody draws the same conclusion. He completely missed that this was Jesus. Actually, I don't think he did. I think he recognized Jesus for who Jesus was. And there's some evidence, I think, that we'll see in the Scripture. The tragedy is that he missed having a connection with God. He misses, he has the golden opportunity. He's standing right before the very Son of God, but he misses what he's been looking for, a relationship, this connection. He completely missed it. So let's do a quick read through the story. Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is good. But to answer your question, you, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't testify falsely. Don't cheat on anybody. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the young man replied, I've obeyed all of these since I was young. Looking at the man, and I think this is an important statement, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him, not condemnation. He felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing that you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. Anyway, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's really cool because this particular story is actually told in three of the Gospels uh, in the New Testament. And if you read all three of them together, then we'll find this interesting description of this fella, this rich young ruler, this man with no name. The first thing that you're going to notice is that he was rich. Mark said that he had many possessions. Now, some people I've heard over the years will look at this and really think that what this passage is teaching is that it's bad to have a lot of possessions, that it's bad to be rich. In fact, there are a host of people out there that think that Christians should be paupers, that we should all be poor, that every dime that we make, that we should completely give it away. This is not what this passage is teaching. The problem is not with how much stuff we have. The problem is with our attitude toward our stuff. It's with our stuff. In fact, our money, our stuff, can actually have its benefits. There was an elderly lady, at least I heard this story to be true, there was an elderly rich lady who was uh, searching for a place at the, at the mall way back in the day when everybody went to the mall. And so she was searching for a spot, and she did kind of what I know that probably we've all done, right? 
So you pull up and you start looking for the space and then there's no spaces. And then what you do is you look for the person coming out of the department store, right? And so she did. She saw this young man coming out and his arms were full of, of boxes. And so she got right behind this young guy and she's going really slow. He's walking very carefully. He's got all these boxes. He didn't want to drop them. So he's being as careful as he knows how to be. And she's just very patiently following right behind him. So he makes his way to his car, pops the trunk, puts the boxes in the car, unlocks the car, and he gets in. And then it just seems like what takes forever. He checks his mirror, puts on his seatbelt, looks around him, starts the car, checks the radio. She's just being as patient as she knows how to be. Finally, he puts the car in reverse. He backs out of the space and he pulls off. And just as he pulls off, this young guy in a red Corvette slides right into the space that this woman, she had her signal on and everything. I mean, he knew that she was waiting on that space. And so he pulls in and kind of feels really good about himself. And she's mad as fire. She says, hey, you can't do that. The young fella says, well, that's the way it is when you're young and rich and young and fast. And so um, she thinks for a second. She puts her car in reverse. She backs up. She drops it down in drive. And she runs right into the back of that red Corvette. And he said, hey, lady, you can't do that. She said, oh, yes, you can. That's the way it is when you're old and rich. I'm just saying that at times it can be good to have money. So he was rich, okay? Not necessarily a bad thing. It can be good to have money. The second thing that I think is really interesting is that he was a leader. Verse 18 out of Luke 18 says, Once a religious leader, hmm, a religious leader, not just any kind of leader, but he's a religious leader, asked Jesus this question. So he was a religious leader in his community. And then Mark says, a man came running up to him. So here's the thing. We can knock religious people, right? That's kind of what we do in church sometimes. We knock religion. We knock religious people. Religious people drive us nuts. But this guy was a religious leader, and he was spiritually thirsty. And then it says this, is that he knelt down. So the guy's kind of getting on my nerves at this point. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, wow. So he was, a, he was rich. He was a religious leader in his community. And he's not a snotty religious guy, but he's actually very humble. So the guy runs up to Jesus right in front of God and everybody in broad daylight, drops down to his knees, and he says, the thing is, Jesus, I have some questions about spiritual things. And then Jesus rattles off like four or five of the Ten Commandments. And this guy says, I've kept all of these since I was a little boy. So you have to admit that this guy seems to be like the spiritual bomb.com, right? He's got everything going for him. You're thinking when it comes to eternal life, I mean, I wouldn't have a chance compared to this guy. He's rich. He's a religious leader in his community. He's humble. He's a seeker. He's spiritually thirsty. I mean, this guy has it all together like he's 99% there. This guy's like at the edge of, of crossing over. Then it says this. So he runs up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's what's interesting. In spite of the fact that he's a religious leader, 
in spite of the fact that he's kept most of the Ten Commandments his whole life, he realizes that that's not enough. There was still something missing in his life. So what's keeping this young, rich, spiritually sensitive, moral leader from knowing God? Well, he had a couple of wrong assumptions as to what it really means to know God. The first wrong assumption that he was under was this. If I haven't done enough, if what I've done isn't enough, I can do more to earn my way to heaven. Did you hear what he said? Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's thinking to himself, I've spent my whole life doing, but I somehow feel like I'm not done enough. And that's fundamentally the wrong question. And here's the reason why. It's because religion is spelled D-O. Because religion always has, and it always will, consist of the things that we try to do to earn our way to God. To earn, to deserve favor and forgiveness. The problem is, you'll never know when you've done enough. That's the problem. The rich young ruler had tried a, a wide variety of ways to get to God. Uh, he tried going to church. And even when he knew that going to church wasn't enough, then he became active in his church. He was involved in church. He was a leader in church. And don't you think that's kind of amazing? So you read this story and you think, so it is entirely possible to spend your whole life religious, being good, keeping the law, having a list of do's that you do, a list of, a list of don'ts that you don't do, to be so religious and completely miss a connection with God. That's scary to me. He was keeping the Ten Commandments, so in his mind, he's thinking, I'm doing a pretty good job, but it's just not quite enough. It's kind of like uh, trying to jump the Grand Canyon, right? We can all try to jump the Grand Canyon. And some of us, because we're a lot faster, a lot more agile, a lot more athletic than others of you out there, we might be able to jump further, but the end result is the same. Because none of us are going to be able to jump the Grand Canyon. We're all going to come up short. We're all going to fall short. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So, we'd have to agree that we're all in the same boat. Everyone falls short. The Bible is super clear. That's what I love about the Bible. Don't be afraid of the Bible. Especially like if you're brand new to the whole Jesus thing. Or maybe you're brand new to this whole God search thing. And maybe you think, I would go to the Bible, but I've always thought that the Bible would offend me. The Bible would condemn me. Let me just tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Because the Bible is going to point you to the very fact that no matter how good you are, you'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to do enough. We're still going to fall short. That's why Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. Jesus died on the cross to do for us. This is simple, right? This is Jesus 101. To do for us what we could never do for ourselves. The penalty for all of our sin was paid for. It's a done deal. 
Jesus said it on the cross. His last words were, to Telestai, it is finished. The price has been paid in full. All sin debt has been taken care of. But we have to receive God's forgiveness, right? It's not just a fact. You've got to be able to embrace it. To embrace it and then enter into this relationship with Jesus. It's not about being religious. It's about a relationship. So it's about receiving God's forgiveness and it's about committing to follow Him. Romans 3, verse 21 says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true. I love this. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. The thing I love about the people that we reach is like the overwhelming majority of the people that we reach are people that don't know a lot about God. And all of those people that feel like they're on a search for God, all those people all feel the same. They feel unworthy. They walk into our church. I mean, I can almost see as a visitor walks in and and they're one of those people that are very, very far from God. They walk in, their heads are down, they're nervous, they're afraid, they're afraid God's going to get them. They know that something's missing in their life, but they're afraid to reach out. But they're desperate, and so they're looking for God. And the sweet thing that we get to do is to tell those folks that God's absolutely crazy about you. So much so that He was willing to prove His love for you. And the proof of that love was God sent His Son, and the proof of that love was God's Son being willing to die on the cross to pay the full penalty for your sin. So it's to believe that He died, that He rose again, and then it's to, it's to fully surrender your life to Him. See, this rich young ruler believed that he could do more to earn his way to heaven, and he found out that he was absolutely wrong. Now, he had a second wrong assumption, and that was this. I can trust God with part of my life. That was the second wrong assumption that he had. Now remember, he had a lot of good things going for him, right? He had been good since childhood. He'd always kept the Ten Commandments. So he was a good boy. He wasn't a bad boy. He was a good boy. He was in church. And he wasn't just in church, but he was a church leader. And he wasn't just in church and a church leader, but he was humble. He was spiritually hungry. He was spiritually thirsty. He knelt before Jesus, which again shows humility. So he had a lot of things going for him, but he believed that he could trust God with part of his life. And honestly, I think this is where a lot of church folks go wrong. Have you ever wondered how some people can live any way they want to, like during the week? Literally, they can claim to be Christian. They can lie, cheat, steal, uh, show no love. None whatsoever. Show no mercy to anyone. No grace to other people. And come to church every single Sunday and they never see a contradiction between what's taught, the life that Jesus lived, and how they lived their life during the week. I mean, it's like they got a dose of religion. They feel good about going, but they never understood what life change is really all about. Or why a man can sit in church Sunday after Sunday next to his wife 
while the rest of the week he's having an affair with a coworker or a neighbor. And it doesn't even bother him. You know why that's, why that's true? You know why that happens a lot in our culture? Why it happens a lot, I think, in church culture? It's because we've become to falsely believe that as long as I give God some areas of my life, we have the right to hold on to other parts for ourselves. But that is absolutely a mistaken belief. So maybe your issue is a lot like the young, rich, young ruler's issue. Maybe you just think, okay, God, the thing of it is, this is my money. It's my money. I work for it. I go to work every week. I work 40 hours. I work my 50 hours. I work my 60 hours. It's my money. I can spend my money any way I want to. Or maybe, maybe for some it's to say, you know what, God, you can have some of my relationships, but you can't have all my relationships. I want to choose who I want to spend the rest of my life with. And it's my life. I should be able to choose anybody I want. You shouldn't be able to stick your nose in my business. Or it's kind of like this. It's kind of like we want to say to God, okay, God, I realize that I have a sin problem. I realize that I have a sin problem. So here's the thing. I want to give you all my sin. I just want to give you only part of my life. though. If Jesus is God's son, Obviously, he is. If he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, all of our sin, and he proved his love for us by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sin, it's just common sense, isn't it? You don't have to be a great theologian to understand that what he deserves is our full devotion. Yeah, I don't think it's a stretch. There was a pastor in Texas that gave a great visual illustration of what it means to have full devotion. He had on his staff a young youth pastor who had an Irish setter, and I'm just telling you, this young youth pastor loved his dog, which I think makes him more godly, don't, don't y'all? I mean, if you've got a dog, dog people out there, if you've got cats, I mean, cats are not, they're not a part of that, but like, if you love a dog, you completely get this, and this is a very, very spiritual, deep, deeply spiritual story. And so this young pastor loved his Irish setter. In fact, he loved this dog so much that this dog got sick. And they thought the dog was going to die, and he took the dog to the vet. And every night, for three or four nights in a row, he took his sleeping bag, and he slept in that vet's office right beside his dog. He was committed to that dog. He was willing to show this dog that I love you. We are tight. We are super, super tight. So to make his point about full devotion, the pastor had this dog, this Irish setter, up on the platform with him one Sunday. Of course, the people kind of freaked out, dog in church, but the dog's up on the, on, the, on the platform with him. He took a rubber ball and he threw it down the middle, I wanted to say center, <laughs> center, not center, I'll, I thought that was funny, there's two of you out there laughing. The rest of you don't even get it. But it's okay. It's okay. I'm, a, I'm twisted. I get that. So he threw the ball down the middle aisle, and he said, fetch. Dog just sat there. Didn't move a muscle. Obviously, this young pastor had not been able to teach this dog about pastoral authority. I'm just saying. So the dog didn't fetch at all. So the pastor, there was a banker sitting on the front row, and he got the banker to come up. And so the banker came up. He reached down in his pocket. He came up with a big wad of money. He waved it in front of that Irish setter. He said, fetch. The dog didn't move. 
So financial gain did not motivate this dog to move at all. So the pastor looked at the congregation and he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to count to three, and on three, as a congregation, all together, we're going to hollow, holler, fetch. So he said, one, two, three, and everybody shouted, fetch. Dog didn't move a muscle. So I guess uh, he didn't cave into peer pressure either. So I guess that's good. So then the pastor had this young youth minister to come up on stage. Young youth minister walks up. He bends down softly, almost at a whisper, into that dog's ear and says, Fetch. And that dog tore off down that aisle, got that rubber ball, brought it back, and with his tail wagging, gave the, dog, gave the, the ball to his owner. The dog was fully devoted to the one who had loved him and cared for him. The rich young ruler was fetching for money. He didn't want to give his whole life to Jesus. Just part of it. And he had given so much. Like he was 99% there. And the thing of it is, Jesus wasn't interested in the man's money. It never had, it was an issue about money. And for folks that have read the Bible and think that this is a story about money, it has nothing to do with money. What Jesus was trying to do was to look at this man, young man and to say, that's great. I'm glad that you've kept the Ten Commandments. Awesome. I'm glad that you're a religious leader and you go to church every Sunday and you're a leader in church. I'm glad that you've showed up today with some humility. But what I'm looking for, what I'm requiring of you, is full devotion. So I have to ask you the question. Who or what are you fetching for? Maybe as a follower of Jesus, maybe what you've learned through this pandemic is that your priorities have been out of line. You didn't even know it. And, and I've heard this from so many people. Wow, I'm spending more time with my, my family. We're having to, to rethink how we spend our time. And so we're buying puzzles. We're, we're coming up with games. We're, we're trying to think, what can we do together? My family was over this week and we did a, a movie night down in our basement and we put the, uh, this movie up on a big screen and we just had a ball and wondered. We've been in this house 18 years and we've never done that before. we've never been challenged. We had so many other things to do that just didn't think about it until suddenly this week. So maybe I'm just asking you as a follower of Jesus, maybe somewhere along the line your priorities shifted. And maybe right now in the quietness of those moments that you have, maybe at home, is maybe you're beginning to ponder that. So I'm just asking this morning, I'm asking you to think through who or what are you fetching for? Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you, like the young, rich young ruler, are fully aware that something is missing in your life. And maybe for you, you've tried to be better, you've tried to do better, and the thing of it is is you've realized it's not enough. No matter how much better you are, no matter how much more you do, you still feel empty inside. There's something missing. Because what God is not looking for is not looking for a robot. You're not going to be perfect on this planet anyway. He's not looking for perfection. What He's looking for is devotion. 
So if you're out there, maybe you're sitting on your couch, maybe you're sitting up in the bed with your laptop, maybe you're out on the back porch with a cup of coffee. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, and you've wondered your whole life, what does He want from me? He wants your full devotion. So if that's you, and you're ready to fully surrender your life to Jesus, then maybe you just pray a prayer or something like this. It's a simple prayer. Maybe you just say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I'm ready. I'm ready to accept what you did for me on the cross. I believe that you're alive. I mean, what you're feeling right now, you have to admit, you're not in a, a building with us. We don't have organ music playing in the back. I mean, we got nothing. But what you feel right now is the awesome presence of God Himself. And He's drawing you. You're right face to face with Him. And He's just simply asking, Give me your life. And you feel His presence. You know He's alive. And what He's asking you is, Will you give me your life? Will you follow me? So just tell Him, God, to the best of my ability, I want to spend the rest of my life following you. Father, you're awesome. Your word is awesome. Lord, the things that you recorded to me are so incredible. Lord, you tell us honest stories of real people that live, people that we can relate to, people that got their priorities all out of whack, some that recognize who you are. They're just not willing to surrender their lives to you. And God, I know that there are those of us that can identify with that, Lord. And I thank you for the power of your word, for the beauty of your word, for the integrity of your word. And I thank you for your love, your incredible, awesome love. And it's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning. And we'll see you next week.